Well, let me remind you of something. When, when you think about it, here's, here's God, and he's, all, he's always existed. Let's just put it that way. Always has existed, always will exist. At a point in time, in some time, we do not know when, God created angels. Because he's always existed, but angels hadn't always existed because they're created beings. So the eternal God at some time created angels. Then after that, he created what we call our world. You know, and because, because we know that because the Bible tells us that the angels sang and rejoiced at the creation. So here's, here's Adam and Eve and here's all of this. Uh, then, now, so here's the next question then. Okay, when did Satan fall? Okay, did, could Satan have fallen here? Let's just put Satan. Could he have fallen at this time period? Yes, he could have fallen and, and had a third of the angels with him. Let's put it that way. And then when the world was created, it, you might say it was the good angels that were uh, glad that the world was created. Okay, could Satan have fallen after he created Adam and Eve? He, he, what? Yeah, he could have. Could he not have? And he, he was rejoicing with when the world was created and then he fell and then he comes, and he comes to Adam and Eve in the garden. Let me just say this. If, how long, let me just throw this out. How long do you think it was from the time that God created the man and the woman in the garden and before they fell? Do you think it was days, months, weeks, years? I, I think it was very quick. I think it was within days after the creation. Um, uh, it just was. I mean, and, and, and because I think that Satan either fell really, really fast after this world was created, or he fell here, and his whole plan was here, I mean, and his whole plan is now that he's mad and he saw God do this, and other angels are cheering and clapping and, you know, cheering, he's saying, I hate them. I'm going to go, I'm going to mess them up. I just think that from the time Adam and Eve were created, to the time they fell was not a very long time at all. And you've got to remember that when did God tell Adam that he could not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, right after he created him. That was before he created the woman. You understand that God told Adam, and Adam, Isha, or Ish, you can't eat, you can eat from every tree but not that tree. It wasn't until after that, you know, he... he he went to sleep, woke up, found out he'd had surgery, was now married. I mean, that was the, the d biggest deal that ever happened to him. And so, so after that, he told her, don't eat from the tree. He said, don't eat and don't touch it. Because when she talked to Satan, when he came, he, he said, as God said, you can't eat from that tree. And she said, we're not supposed to eat from it or touch it. Now, God didn't say not touch it. Now, I'm sure Adam said, don't even get over there and touch it. So she, she did not, best we can understand, this hasn't been very long. And you got to remember that when Adam was created, he was created as a grown man. And when Eve was created, she was created as a grown woman. And, I mean, it's not, it's not months and months and months. I think, I think it's probably just days after the creation. I mean, because, you know, they're, they're, it, God's going to tell them, he's told them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the world. And then there's, but they... I, think, I mean, let's just say this, and I'm trying to figure out a nice way to say this. I can't, I'm trying to think of it. Let's say that they had sexual relations before the fall and got pregnant. 
that child wouldn't have been a fallen child. So he said, I think that that, that that whole idea from the time they're created until the fall was very fast. Because what did Adam say when he saw Eve? He said, Mama Mia, that's a spicy meatball. <laughs> Actually, he said, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He said, you match me. All these other things, they don't match me. You match me. And I just don't think it was very long before Satan came and messed the whole thing up. So when we talk about when did Satan fall, I think he, I mean, if I'm guessing, if somebody said, you just got to pick something, I pick right here before God created this. And, and one of the reasons that I look at that is here you got these angels and there's no, there's no provision for them. And then God creates this world and Satan comes and they fall. And then what does God do? He gets a provision. Provision for mankind. Angels could say, that's not fair. Especially these angels. These angels go, we don't care. <laughs> Although we desire to look into the things that God does. So I just thought we'd throw this out to kind of start with, um, just seeing how all that fit together. There's a lot uh, in this things that we don't know, and we won't know till we get there, and maybe ask him and ask him, how did you do it? When did you do it? How did it work? So we'll see it. Well, turning your Bibles to James 1, if you just want to have your Bibles open to James 1, we're continuing our study of angels and demons. And the, this semester, we're looking, of course, at these spirit beings, and they're in the room now. They're powerful, created by God. Who are they? What do they do? How do they relate to us? As we mentioned, they're everywhere in the Word of God. I mean, you'll find them all the way back to the garden. In chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Genesis, you'll see them all the way to the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, chapters 20, 21, 22. I mean, they're all there. And we said that there's two big groups of angels. And as you look at that, there's two big... Oh, let me turn this on. There's two big groups of angels. There's the good angels who serve God and mankind. And then there's what they call the bad angels or demons, Satan and his angels who oppose God and mankind. Good angels sometimes called, are sometimes called elect angels. Sometimes they're called holy angels. Bad angels are sometimes called fallen angels. They're sometimes called demons, those kind of things. So what we're seeing is, is these, these things. In our first four lessons, uh, what we did is we looked at the good angels. We talked about how they related to God and to mankind and to Jesus and all. And what amazed us really is how that in every aspect of Jesus, angels were there. From, from before, his, from the announcement of the birth, at the birth, as a young child basically, growing up uh, in the beginning of his ministry, in the temptation, all the way through the ministry, at his death, at his resurrection, at, at his ascension. I mean, they're, they're there in every aspect. Just amazing. And then we begin last lesson is what we call looking at the dark side. We've gone to the dark side because we begin looking at fallen angels. And over the next several lessons, we're looking at the prince of darkness, as some call him, the Satan himself. He, uh, he is the head of the fallen angels, the anointed cherub who rebelled against God. And, and you know, people, like we said, some people are going to say, and no such thing as this. I mean, just get ridiculous. No, the truth is there is. There is a being, and this being is so horrible. Now, let's say this. We're not going to go all the way to the other side and think this being is as is, is strong as God because he's not. He is a created being. And in fact, he's not even the toughest angel. We saw on Sunday morning, who's the, who's the strongest angel when the fight comes? Michael the archangel kicks Lucifer, Satan, out of heaven. 
And so that, that's good news. That's good news. And so he's a very powerful angel. He's opposed to God, opposed to mankind. His goal, as we saw, is to be like God, or to be God, and to be like God, and to be worshipped, and to rule the universe. He actually rules now. He rules this, this world, our world, our fallen world. He rules it. Now, that means, but it's still under the power of God because God is sovereign of everything and God allows him to do that. So he is so evil, but the good news is that God is still in control and God is limit. God limits Satan to what he can do. We saw it in the book of Job. We've seen it just in, in the world. God's plan to reconcile mankind He's using his son, Jesus Christ. We talk about that being the story of the Bible. Perfect God brings sinful man back to himself. Using his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Jesus not only rules all of everything, he will rule our world. And what you've actually seen is a counterfeit. You've got somebody that's the counterfeit that's ruling this fallen world right now. And, and we can say how beautiful this world is. And it is. You can see sunsets and sunrises and trees and flowers and animals. And just everything's beautiful. And yet it's fallen. And this whole creation groans. And every people, people are beautiful and, and smart and sweet. And, and at the same time, they're bad because we're all fallen. And one of these days, that's all going to be gone. And everything's going to be good. It's just hard to imagine it. Okay, so we begin tonight really our focus on Satan and Satan's creation and fall. We've talked about that already, but we've got some ideas about him. We're going to get a look at him. We're going to look at, and this is in your thing, his three things, his sinfulness, uh, his names and positions, and his activities. So I'm going to give you a chance to write all that down. His sinfulness, his names and positions, and his activities. And there's a lot involved in there. And some of it will go into details. And listen, I don't think it's a real long lesson. Uh, so we'll have plenty of time for questions. But if you, as we go along, just like always, if you have a question, just stop right then and say, I didn't hear you, or what, what did you say, or that kind of thing, and we'll do the questions. But also, at the end, if we have time, which I think we will, we can open it up for questions either about Satan, about end time stuff, how it all fits together, or just anything you want to talk about. Huh? There's a lot of what? There's a lot of writing. A lot of writing. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it's faster than you think. It's faster than you think. Okay. <laughs> I do what? Everybody's going, I got to get two pencils, you know, two pens. It, it's going to be good. It's not that bad. Let the tests are easy, right? Okay, anyway, so let's look at this. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We'd all say that. The wages of sin is death, and we're sinners. And we're sinners really in three ways. I want you to think about it. Imputed sin, inherited sin, and personal sin. So just write that down and, and, uh, and, and just put it up there. I want to talk about it for just a second. Uh-oh, I lost the top. Did anybody see where that top went? Oh, that plug it, yeah. Y'all just keep writing. Thank you, my wife, Jean. Okay. As you know, uh, we come into this world dead in trespasses and sins. We have a body. We have a soul which relates to the world around us. We have a conscience which tells us right from wrong. And then we have this flesh which is the bent to sin. 
when we talk about being sinners in three ways, the imputed sin of Adam, meaning that when Adam sinned, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, through one man sinned into the world and death by sin and death passed upon all for all sin. That means when Adam sinned, every one of us got that sin, that imputed sin, and it's, it's like we all ate the fruit, okay? So that's one aspect. The second is what we call in his inherited sin, and that's the flesh. This is the natural bent to sin. We inherit, we come into this world with a natural bent to sin, and people, I've had people say, I don't know about that. I said, well, do you teach children to do wrong or teach children to do right? We don't have to teach anybody to do wrong, but we have to teach everybody to do right. And because we have come into this world with a natural bent to sin. And then we sin personally. We choose to sin. And, and so when we start thinking about, about us, and, and the reason I bring that up, there used to be a comedian. His name was Flip Wilson. Anybody remember Flip Wilson? Any of the older people, the younger people are going, what are they talking about? Who's Flip, Flip who? Flip, Flip Pancakes? I don't know, whatever, okay? But Flip Wilson used to have a, a thing, and then he would always say, and the devil made me do it. And there are a lot of people who say, when I sin, the devil made me sin. And I want to say to him, listen, the devil is an angel, and he can only be at one place at one time. So if he's making you sin, guess who's the most important person in the world? You are. And I don't think you are. I mean, I don't mean it bad, but I don't think I am either. I don't think he's coming after me or you. He's coming after people in positions that can influence a lot of people. And so it, though, when we talk about Flip Wilson, he said, the devil made me do it. Well, let's talk about our own sin. Look right here, James chapter 1. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own what? Lust, the lust of the flesh. There it is. And then when the lust is conceived, it gives birth to what? Sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. And you know when you sin, you die as a believer. When you sin, you die. You're out of fellowship. You're separated from the Father, not in, not in a relationship, but in fellowship. That's why if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So we would love to blame the devil. We would. We'd love to blame him for our sin. And we'd say, I'm not responsible. But the truth is, we are responsible. We have a flesh, we have a bent to sin, and we personally sin. Now, as a believer, we've we got the human spirit. And I, I put that that way because we're born spiritually alive. We're alive. We were dead in trespasses and sins, now we're alive. And we have the Holy Spirit who comes to live inside of us. So we, it's a real battle right here. The Bible talks about the flesh versus the spirit, spirit against the flesh, contrary one to another. Here we are, a new creation who cannot... I'm going to write that down. Someday we'll talk about it in here. We, you cannot sin. This new creation, new party, you can't sin. That's why Paul says, when I sin, it's not me. It's sin within me. It's my flesh. And so there's the battle. And the truth is, there is a demonic force out there. There is Satan who controls the world, who affects our flesh. And we can say... We can actually say, oh, Satan is behind all this. He is, but you're still accountable. We're all accountable for our sins, what we do. Uh, so this evening, we're going to see the devil and all his, his sinfulness, his titles, his activities, all the things. So at the bottom of the page, I think, I guess if it's the bottom of the page, we're going to look at the devil, and we're going to look at his sinfulness. And, and just, just think about this. When you think about sin and sinfulness, you think of evil people. And by the way, are there evil people? Are people evil? Are some people more evil than others? 
I mean, even in this room, there's levels of evil. And there's levels of goodness. There are evil people. Think about this. How about this guy, Jeffrey Dahmer, who killed, killed and ate people? How about Hitler, who killed six million Jews on purpose and not counting others that he killed? How about Pol Pot from Cambodia, killed millions of people? People don't realize that. They always say Hitler was so bad, Pol Pot killed millions of people. Joseph Stalin killed millions of people. There have been people in this world that are evil that killed millions of people. And they're terrorists that come in, they blow up, and they kill these people who have not, that didn't do anything. Might be riding on a bus with your family, and they blow the bus up and kill. I mean, they're just evil people. But when we think about Satan, he is beyond. He's a roaring lion, thinking he may destroy. He is beyond what you could imagine on being evil. You just can't imagine how evil he is. And so you don't even try. Don't try to think about how evil he is. He's the most evil thing. Lewis Berry Schaefer, I wrote it down there. He says, he has been practicing. This is what he said. This, I mean, this guy started Dallas Seminary in 1924. So, you know, he was amazing. He says, he's been, Satan has been practicing sin longer than any other being. Think about this. Where did the first sin come from? Satan. So he's the first sinner, and he's been practicing sin longer than any of us. We could say, as Paul said, Paul's number one sinner. You know, you can't say you're the worst sinner as far as a human being. Because Paul said he was number one. And, and that was through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So you're at least number two at the worst. I mean, at the, you know, at the best you can be is number two sinner. But anyway, so Lewis Barry Schaefer, when he says it, he says, think about it. Who's the worst sinner of all time? Satan. He's the worst, most evil, sinful thing of all time. He's not a sinful person. He's a sinful being, which is an angel. And we're going to talk about it. He's beyond what we could imagine. So we're going to look, if you turn to the top of the page, we're going to look at his sinfulness. And I got ten things there. And what I want to do is I want to, let me erase this. And if you have questions or anything, just stop me. But I want, to, I want us to look at sort of a contrast here. Because Satan, let's put Satan over here. Let's put God here. And there's a counterfeit. The whole thing, everything he tries to do is to be like God, right? I mean, everything we see, Satan is a counterfeiter. He has a counterfeit message. We're going to see later on in some lessons on down, he's got a counterfeit gospel message. He's got a counterfeit Holy Spirit, false prophet. He's got all these counterfeit everything. He wants to be like God. That's what he wants to be. So, and, and, and so we're going to see the difference. We'll just kind of go down this and talk about it. But let's talk about his sinfulness. And I'm going to put, I'm going to put them up. You, you, don't, you don't have to copy them all at once. But instead of you having to copy everything, just let's start with the first one. He's challenged God from the very beginning. In fact, if you remember, in Isaiah 14, this is the five I wills. And what he said, and let me do this. I'm going to put a little piece of paper over here. I'm going to show you a little contrast here. What he said is he said, I want to be God, but he's a false God. And here is God who is the what? True God. And so from the very beginning, he said, I want to be God. I want to be God. And when he came to Adam, and we'll say Eve, but even though her name was Isha at that time, what did he say they could be? They could be like God. And what did the Mormons say you can be if you're a man? If you're a man, you can control your own world. If you're a woman, you just produce babies. That's your goal, produce babies. And, and, so, and you could be a God. See, uh, in the Mormon uh, teaching, where did Jesus come from? He's a product of 
Adam, God, and Virgin Mary. Adam became a God and came down and had relations with Mary and produced Jesus. That's Mormonism. So anybody that's Mormon and tells you they're a Christian, they don't have a clue. They got a different book, a different gospel message, and a different Jesus. So it's not the same. So don't let people get away with it. Just say, nope, you're not the same. Uh, let's look at number two. Number two, he sinned from the beginning. First John chapter 3, verse 8. It talks about uh, how God has come to destroy the, the plan of the devil or the will of the devil or, or is the work of the devil. So Satan has, a, has a, what I call a false plan. And God has the plan. What's his plan? Perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. That's his plan. And, and, and when, we, when we're talking about the plan, now we're not talking about the overall plan because we don't really know the overall plan. We don't know even why God created human beings and the whole world and angels and everything. We just know what he's doing with us. And, and maybe someday we'll get information that tells us exactly all that. Here's the third thing. He's a liar. John 8, 44, he says, that says he is a liar. He's always been a liar. What is God? He's the truth. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. The, the, the scripture, John 17, 17, that word is truth. Listen, look at the contrast. It's a counterfeit. I'm going to be God. No, no, no. You're not. You're a false God, not a true God. I got this plan. No, it's a false plan. God has the true plan. Well, I, I, I'm telling you this. No, you're a liar. God is truth. This is what we're going to see as we go through this guy. Look at the, the, the fourth one. He slandered God in the garden. And I, I'm go, I want you to turn there. I want you to turn it to Genesis chapter 3. We're just going to look at it real briefly. If you've been in some of my other classes, we've actually gone into details on Genesis chapter 3. But I just want you to see something. In the garden, here's what he said. He wanted them to doubt God's love and doubt. God's word. That's his plan. That's what he wanted to do. That's when he came in the garden. He says, has God said you can't eat from every tree? What is wrong? Is God telling you the truth? Wait, he wants you to doubt God's word. In fact, he says, if God really loved you, wouldn't he let you eat from every tree? If God really loved you, wouldn't he let you get married? If God really loved you, wouldn't he let you be successful? If God really loved you, wouldn't he get, he'd heal you of this problem you have? If God really loved you, wouldn't he do this? If God really loved you, he wouldn't allow this bad thing to happen. That's a lie of Satan. That's, his, that's, his, that's what he wants to do. He wants you to doubt God's love, and then he wants you to doubt God's word. And he said to Eve in the garden, you shall not what? Because God said, in the day you eat from that fruit, you shall surely... Die. And Satan said, you will not die. So he said, you, don't have, you can't believe him. And so Satan's plan is to doubt God's love and doubt God's word. Well, the truth is this. His word is truth, and you should never doubt it. It's perfect. And his love is unconditional and everlasting. Right? Unconditional and everlasting. And he'll always want you to doubt. When you see these people who... Who, uh, who don't believe what we believe, they'll say, uh, you know, you actually believe this? <laughs> oh, you know people wrote this and there's all kind of problems with it. I go, I've never had a problem with it. Well, there's all kind of, you know, all kind of errors in there and contradictions. Could you give me one? 
They can't give you one, by the way. They've heard that there are, but they don't know. They don't know where to look it up. They don't know what to find. So when people say, there's contradictions in the Bible, I go, yeah, would you give me one? Show me one. They don't. So they say, he slandered God. He said, God doesn't love you, and he's a liar. Don't, he's, he's the liar. God's the truth. God does love us, and his word is true. So just remember, he's all counterfeit. That's all he tries to do. He tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Turn to Luke chapter 4. I want you to notice something about the passage that you may have not thought of. Luke chapter 4, we'll get to verse 1, but he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. And what he wanted to do, he wanted Jesus to go, wanted Jesus to go contrary to the Bible or to God, to God's Word. He wanted Jesus to go contrary to the Father. The Father sent him down to do what? The Father's will. And he wanted Jesus to go contrary to the Father's will. And, and look at this. Why did Jesus go out into the wilderness to begin with? You could say, don't go out. What are you doing going out there for? Why did he go out there? Chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Why did he go into the wilderness? He's full of the Holy Spirit. And God says, I'm, you've got to go out there. And Satan says, I want you to do something different than your father has for you to do. And if you do that, guess what? That's called what? What, do you, what is it you do if you do contrary to what God tells you to do? It's called sin, isn't it? And so what does he say to Jesus? If you look at the passage, uh, the devil said to Jesus, and it is the devil, by the way, notice, and verse 3, uh, verse 2, he was tempted by the devil, and then verse 3, the devil said to him, if, and it's true, by the way, Read that passage carefully. It's a first-class if in Greek. It says, and the devil said to him, if and it's true, you are the Son of God. He's not saying he's not the Son of God. He knows he's the Son of God. He says, if and it's true, you're the Son of God. Why don't you tell these stones to become bread? Because, see, I know you're hungry, and your father would want you to eat. Who put him out there for 40 days without eating? Yeah, if God, Jesus basically says, if God wants me to eat, I'll eat. You know, he said, what does he say? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by the what? The word of God. Then this, of course, this order is a little different. Luke is different than Matthew because in Matthew, he takes him and says, jump off the temple. But here he takes him to the, all the world and says, you can have the whole kingdoms of the world. Who controls the kingdoms of the world? Satan does. He says, you can have the whole thing if you bow down to me. That means don't go to the cross. Just don't go. And Jesus said, no, no, no. I go back to the word of God. And the Word of God says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. And the Word of God says, I can live by the Word of God, not by, you know, bread. And, uh, and then he says, well, jump off his thing and everybody will see you and you won't get hurt. And he said, no, no, we're not testing the Lord. And so here's Satan who wants Jesus to go contrary to the Father. Jesus says, nope, I just live by the Word. Just never forget this right here. This is the big one. He will lie to you about everything. It's always there. Okay, let's see. We're, we're moving on. Let's get some more. All right. Then this, he's, he, was, he possessed Judas. 
Oh my gracious, really? Look at John 13, just flip there, you're in Luke. Look at John 13, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Look at John 13, this is the upper room. And this is the night that Jesus is betrayed. He possesses Judas. Was Judas a believer or an unbeliever? He's an unbeliever. Listen, it calls him the son of perdition. He's an unbeliever. Did Jesus? Did uh, Judas do miracles? Yes. He sure did. Who, who gave him the power to do it? Jesus did. Look at chapter 13, uh, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that the hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved him to the end. During supper, who is this? The devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. He's put it already there. Jesus knowing all things. And so he, he, the whole idea is that he, he's there. He's gonna, it's the counterfeit. He's going to betray. Wow. One of the other gospels says that Satan entered into Judas. Let me ask you a question. The Antichrist we've been studying on Sunday mornings, is he demon-possessed? Yeah, we're going to see he's controlled. We saw it last week. We'll see it more in the weeks to come. How about this false prophet? Is he demon-possessed? Listen, can Satan possess people and use them? You know, those names of people we named a while ago, there's no telling what what their life and their background is. So he, he you know, he wanted to possess or possess Let's put this, possess Judas. Well, what does Jesus do? Or the Holy Spirit, he indwells us. He doesn't possess us in a sense, but he indwells us. He empowers us. He gives us the, the strength. Okay? So you see that? Now, here's number seven. He blinds. Now, this is one we got to really think about. He blinds the minds of unbelievers. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, let me read this to you, okay? I, you don't have to turn there. You can if you want to, but Second Corinthians chapter 4. Just listen to what this says. He says, if our gospel is veiled, and Paul's talking, and he's talking about we have this ministry, we're not ashamed, we're putting the word of God out, and he says, but if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. Those who are perishing. Now listen to this. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. He didn't say he blinds them where they can't believe. He says he's blinding the who? Unbelievers. Let me show you something. Can I erase this? Are y'all okay? You, you've got it, right? And I'll, I'll add some more in just a minute too. But let me show you something. I want you to think about it. Here is, and we've drawn this up just a while ago. This is the unbeliever. He has a body, a soul, a conscience, and a flesh. This is this is a mind this is a mind and emotion and a will. And this is right and wrong ideas, and this is a bent to sin. Can an unbeliever believe? Yes. Unbelievers believe things all the time. Is an unbeliever capable of believing? The answer is yes. But here's the truth. We're dead in sin. And all we like sheep have gone astray, each one our own way. And there's none righteous, no, not one. There's not one that what? Seeks after God. So what does God do to this unbeliever who's going their own way? He sends the Holy Spirit to do what? To convict. 
Uh-oh, I got dyslexic. Could see over. What's the next word? Huh? V-O, okay. I was going to put an F there for some reason. I don't know why. Okay, he convict. That's not right. But anyway, that doesn't matter. He's going to convict the world of what? Sin, right? Sin that they have not believed. So listen, the truth is this. If God doesn't send the Holy Spirit and convict the world, nobody would be saved. Because we like sheep are going, it's not that we're not able to believe. It's just we're not choosing to. We're going our own way. But the Holy Spirit convicts us. And who does he convict? Certain people. The entire world. So the Holy Spirit convicts the world. And that's when a person can believe. Now over here he blinds the mind of the who? Unbelieving. I think what happens. Let me just say this. I think what happens is that when people continually reject the truth. And they've been convicted by the Holy Spirit. And they continually reject the truth. It's possible that God allows they're to be blinded. God allows them to be blinded. We know that during the tribulation, there are going to be some people who have rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected, and they're going to be blinded. They're going to have a hardening, and they're going to reject. So when, when we talk to people, the truth is this. We want everybody to believe. We want everybody to have eternal life, but sometimes they don't. I mean, sometimes they just choose not to believe and to reject, and then he can blind them, Okay. But what's so great is the Holy Spirit convicts, okay? I'm going to have to go a little faster. I didn't think I'd take this long on this. Okay, he takes away the salvation message. It's the same thing. Let me read this to you. This is Luke. And, and by the way, this is a, a good verse and a, and a sad verse, okay? Luke chapter 8, verse 12. It talks about uh, the, this is the, the sower, and he sows the sow and so, so the seed, and lands on the hard ground. And then some goes over here, and some goes, and a bird comes along and takes this one away. And it basically goes on to say, the parable is this, those of the road who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word so that they will not believe. Now, are they capable of believing? If they weren't capable of believing, why would Satan come take the word away? So I think this is that idea that sometimes God allows people who continually reject to maybe miss the message. Okay, I don't think it's ever too late. I'm just saying that it happens. Okay, uh, he attacks believers. Ephesians six eleven. Uh, we we've seen that the wiles of the devil. What are the wiles of the devil? What are some of the things that he tries to do to us? You know what he says? There is no what. There's no God. Uh, uh, that God's really evil. If God really was a good God, there wouldn't be there wouldn't be evil in the world. How many times have you ever heard somebody say, well, if God was really good, then why do these bad things happen? See, and so that's from Satan. That's not from the Bible. Satan says, if God was really God, why would these bad things happen? And people go, yeah, if God was really God, why would these bad things happen? It's because it's a fallen world. That's why it happens. God allows that. He's a roaring lion seeking who may destroy, First Peter 5. So those are the different things I put down, the, the sinfulness, the sinful things that he does, that he's, that he's known for, that he's famous for. Uh, so any questions of that? Because we're going to move to his names really quickly just to, to see how that is. I hate to tell you, I thought I took longer there than I had planned. But anyway, so uh, let's, look at, let's look at his names and his positions and his activities and those kind of things. Let's talk about his names. And we've seen him before. We know his names. The first one is Lucifer, right? Right? It's Lucifer, and it means, listen, it means the shiny one, it means the star of the morning. Listen to this. It means day star, and it also means son of the morning. And we go, what in the world? 
How can he have that name? Well, I want to read something to you. See, remember, he's a what? He's a counterfeiter, isn't he? What's his name? Lucifer, son of the morning, the shining one. Listen to this. This is Revelation 22 at the very end. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Who is the bright morning star? Jesus is. But what does Satan try to be? He, he's the shining one, the star of the morning. He's the day star. That's what that name means. And uh, he, that, he's the shining one. And what does he want to be? He wants to be just like God. He wants to look just like God. That's what he thinks. Okay, the second one is his, his name is Satan. I, 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 his, the name Satan is used at least 52 times. Uh, it's Zechariah 3.1, Revelation 12.9. In fact, I want you to turn to Revelation 12.9, okay, because we're going to see a bunch of the... One verse has the same name of this, of this horrible being. He's called Satan. Revelation 12, 9 says, And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil, and Satan. Now, Satan means adversary. Satan means that he's opposed, that he's a opposite of. that he, And it means anything God wanted to do, Satan's opposed to it. And what is our flesh, by the way? Is our flesh for God or against God? It's against God. And so Satan has the world that affects this flesh that's naturally go together. He has that counterfeit system, a counterfeit system, uh, adversary. If you go to Job, and don't turn there, but in Job, it's Satan that comes to, to lie against God. The third one, I think, the third one is he's called the devil. If you look in Revelation, just stay in Revelation 12, 9. It says, And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who was called the devil. There he is. And the word devil, it means slanderer. Slanderer. It means to defame. It means to say wrong things. And that's what he does. He uh, always says bad things. He's an accuser, right? What does he say about, about you to God? Do you know that? He can say stuff to... He can go up and see God. Did you know that? Right? Did he go up and accuse Job? Yeah. yeah. He said to Job, he said, God said, how you like Job? He's a pretty impressive guy. He says, well, the reason he's doing that is because you've taken care of him. If you didn't take care of him, he'd curse you to your face. Let me ask you this. Could he say to God that I'm a vile sinner? He's not even lying. Right? He can accuse. He's, he's evil. Listen, he's a slanderer. He, tri- he trips up. He gives false reports. He defames. He does all of these things. I mean, that's who he is. I mean, that, uh, he is the, the, the one. Okay? And then tied right into there is the serpent of old, number four. And that's also in the same verse. Notice the great dragon who was thrown down, the serpent of old, the devil, and Satan. So we see all these names of him. And the serpent of old, what, what do you think of when you think of the serpent of old? You go back to the garden. You go back to the garden, the serpent. Look at this verse right here. Have you got that? Y'all, you're okay on that? Okay, look at this right here. First, Second Corinthians 11.3. This is Paul right now. He says, but I'm afraid... That as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. How did he deceive her? He lied to her, right? And he tricked her. And he said, if, if you eat from the fruit, you'll be like God, knowing what? Good and evil. Did she know good and evil after that? Does God know good and evil? 
So then she is like God, knowing good and evil. But what did she think she was going to be? God. She said, this didn't work out. It didn't. I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and pure devotion to Christ. That's what he does. He, he's the serpent of old. He's the trickster. He's the liar. He's the one that deceives you. And, and he can, he, he's that serpent, just as the serpent deceived Eve. You know, I mean, he said, I'm afraid it's going, the same thing is going to happen to you. Was that number four? Yes. Right, okay, here's five. The great dragon. Same, look, look at chapter 12 uh, of Revelation, where we are now. Verse 3, I saw another sign appeared in the heaven, and behold, a great dragon. And then look down at verse 7. And there was a war in heaven, and Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. And then you look down at verse 9, and there was a great dragon. So that's who he is. He's called the dragon. And he's the, he's the beast, uh, he's the beast that comes up, you know, he's just horrible, really. The great evil dragon. Look at this, uh, I, I put those verses. The, the, another sign appeared in heaven, hold this red dragon in verse 7. There was a war in heaven, Michael, with the dragon. It's the same verses I just read. Uh, so he is, uh, he is there, that's who he is, the dragon. Okay, let's go a little more. He's the evil one. And, and I'm going to surprise you on this if you've never looked at this. The evil one uh, in uh, Sermon on the Mount. And how do we pray? Deliver us from evil. But it's actually the evil one. And, and so the bottom line is a lot of times when he says deliver us from evil or keep us from evil, the Greek is of the evil. And it implies an evil one, an, an evil person. And so he's sometimes called the evil one. John seventeen fifteen, the evil one. John 5, 1 John 5, 8. Let me read, since I'm over there, let me just read that one for you. 1 John 5, 8 says, this, uh, that's not even, what is it, 18? I'm sorry, 18? No wonder it didn't look right. Okay, I thought I've lost it again. Okay, we know that no one who born of God sins, but he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. He's called the evil one. He's the evil one in John 17, 15. He's the evil one in Matthew 6, but it's actually delivers from evil, but it actually says delivers from the evil one. It's there. That's who he is. Uh, no one who's born of God, we'll talk about that some other time. I think we've probably talked about it before. No one who's born of God sins, but he who's born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. Okay, number seven, the destroyer. Revelation 9, 11, it's called Abaddon. He's the king of the abyss. He's the destroyer. He's the one that comes up out of the abyss, and we, that's where we saw all those locusts come up, and he was the head of that. He, even God is using Satan and demons to judge the world. That's just hard to imagine, but that's what he does. And a lot of times people say, well, that can't be right. Yes, it is right. God can do anything and anything he wants to do. And the last one is, is uh, sort of one of my favorites, Lord of the Flies, Beelzebub. Beelzebub. Uh, Baal, Beelz, that's all... That's all uh, other and not Hebrew, but all different uh, Aramaic words for gods. Baal's above is the god of the flies, the lord of the flies. And it was, uh, you know, when they told Jesus, they were kind of making fun of Jesus, and and uh, and said that he cast out demons by the by the lord of the flies, by Beelzebub. 
That's just another name for Satan. That's, in fact, Beelzebub is the leader of the, of the demons. That's who, that's who the nickname was. And that's why when Jesus was doing miracles, let, let me tell you what. You've all heard of this, and I've got just the next second I've got to talk about it. You've all heard people say, oh, please don't, you know, don't do the unpardonable sin. People just pull something out, and I've had people come up to me and they say, I'm just so afraid I'm going to do the unpardonable sin and I'll be going to hell. And I say, what do you think the unpardonable sin is? They have no idea. It's something about Jesus. <laughs> the unpardonable sin is actually attributing the works of Jesus Christ to the devil. It's basically calling the holy, it's saying that when Jesus was on the earth, the power that he used to do his miracles was from the devil. That's that, what that's really saying is, I am rejecting Jesus and saying he's from the devil. So you, you're not going to heaven if you reject Jesus and say he's from the devil. So when people say things like unpardonable sin, the, it's not unpardonable in the sense that you do it and you're lost forever. It's saying, I reject Jesus and I believe he's from the devil. It'd be hard for you to do it. You'd have to say, I believe when Jesus was on this earth, he was of the devil, so I'm rejecting Jesus. And that's what people did. Listen, when the religious leaders saw Jesus heal people and they couldn't say it didn't happen, what's the only alternative could they do? They say, well, I, yeah, he did that miracle, but it's actually from Satan. That's, that's, that's the only thing they could do. Um, you know, just it's terrible. Uh, in fact, there it is right here. If, by, if I by Beelzebub cast out your demons, uh, cast out demon B, be whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason, they'll be your judges. That's what they said about him. Okay, let's look. Uh, okay, we're through with that, right? You got it? Let's look at his position, okay? And we'll, we'll go pretty quickly. His position, first of all, he was the anointed cherub, Ezekiel twenty-eight fourteen. He says, you're the anointed cherub who recovers, and I placed you there. You're on the holy mountain of God. Wherever that was, we think it was in the third heavens. That's the best that I can understand. Probably in the third heavens, he had that position, and uh, you were the, he was the anointed cherub. This is before the fall. This was his position. Then you got that. You don't have to read that. That's the that's the verse. If you you know just you could put Ezekiel twenty eight fourteen. That's just the the actual verse, so you don't have to copy the whole verse down if you want to. Just know that he was the anointed cherub. The second thing is he's called the prince of the world. Now I want you. I'm going to give you three things in a world in a row, and I'm going to give you first of all the prince of the world. Okay, the prince of the world. This is the word cosmos. That's, this is the Greek word. This is the English word. It means the ordered system. We would call it our world, our, our whole aspect of how things. And he's called the prince of the world. John 12 calls him that. John 16. He says, now judgment has come upon the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. That's the word prince there. He's the prince of this world. Okay, so I want you to see he controls what? This what? This world, okay? Let's look at the next one. He's called the prince of the hour, power of the air. It's Ephesians 2.2. 2. That's dealing with the air or the heavens. Most think that it's probably our atmosphere uh, or maybe the first and second heavens. But he's, he's the power of the air. I think it's more of the, the, this atmosphere around our world because that's who he is. He's the prince of the power of the air. And so this has to do with the heavens. This has to do with the world. Okay? And then there's going to be a third one. Are you ready? Are you got that? I, I don't know if I have a 
No, I don't have a verse for there, except Ephesians 2, 2. That's what he's called there. Uh, by the way, when you read that, it talks about how we walked. We walked, as unbelievers, we walked according to the prince of the power of the air. We lived in this system, this world system and this heaven system controlled by Satan. And that's why it, Jesus actually said on uh, the high priestly prayer in John 17, he said, I'm not asking you to take them out of this world. I'm asking you to protect them. He's sending them out. So, you know, when, when you believe in Christ, you are now an enemy of a fallen world system. Before that, you're not an enemy. You're going with the flow. Now you're not. Here's the third thing, or the fourth thing, uh, the third one tied in with this. He's the God of this world, but it's not the same word. It's not cosmos, it's aeon. I think I've got it. So, yeah, A-I-O-N, I got it right there. It's not cosmos, and this has to do with 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 time it's like an age he's the god of this particular age because if you remember jesus died on the cross paid for sin and we're in the what church what age one of these days jesus is going to come get the church he's the god of this age he gets to control this age he has the world he has the heavens and he has this age this time period and i put with that it deals with time and philosophy that's what the emphasis is the cause it's, it's time philosophy there is a there if you just look at our culture what do you see you see a fallen culture not just a fallen world, not just a fallen heavens, but a fallen time period. We're in that thing and we just go, oh, it's just horrible what's going on. Okay, and then he's, got, he's also called, you hope you got that, he's called the ruler of the demons. The ruler of the demons. And he rules over, and, and Jesus calls him that in Matthew, in Matthew 12, Luke 11, uh, got the verses. He's called the ruler of the demons. And you know what he does? He tells them what to do. And there's a battle going on. And let me just, there is a battle going on that we cannot see. And according to the book of Daniel, there are good angels who oversee countries and rulers and leaders. And there are bad angels who are fighting and overseeing others. That's why you say, well, how can some of these countries and these leaders be so evil? How can they destroy their people the way they do? How can they let them starve to death? How can they have that? How can they be this evil? Because this country is overseen and influenced by evil angels. Yes, yeah. Oh, uh, time and time. Oh, let me go back. Time and right there. Time and philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for yeah yeah emphasis on time. Time and philosophy. The God of this world. And this is age. Remember, this is different than the other word. This is not cosmos, but aeon. I got it. Everybody got it. You're okay. Okay. Then we got. He's the ruler of the demons. Boy, that's who he is. Oh, he's so bad. He's so bad. Well, now let's get the last part. And that's, what does he do? What's his activities? You can guess. I, I saw a thing the other day. A, a, a guy, I found it and I looked it up and he said, Names of Satan. And the truth is, he had some names of Satan, but he also had what he does. And he called those all names. He had like 30, 20, 25 names of Satan. And it's possible but some of them are his names, which is we looked at, and some of them are what he does. And so this is what he does. So here's the first one. You ready? He's the tempter. 
Matthew 4, 1, Matthew 4, 3, he's called the tempter. And by the way, let me, let me read this for you, for you uh, so you can see this. This is, of course, when Jesus is being tempted by Satan, so he's called the tempter. But I want you to notice that uh, when it starts off, he's led by the Spirit, and he was fast, uh, tempted by the devil. But notice in verse 10, he says, Jesus said to me, to him, get away, Satan. So he's not only the tempter, and he's the devil, but he's also Satan. So just understand that that's who it is. The Bible, Jesus wanted us to know that the one tempting him was Satan himself. And he's called the tempter. And he tempts us all. Uh, he wants us to, to go contrary to the word of God. First um, uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul calls him the tempter. What does he want you to do? What does he want you to do? Huh? See, he wants you to go contrary. I'm going to erase this for a second. He just wants you to go contrary. Just in the same way he wanted Jesus to go contrary to the word of God, he wants... Each of us. I mean, there we are. And we've got the body and the soul and the conscience and the flesh and the human spirit and the Holy Spirit. And there's this battle. And what he's saying is this, here's Satan and here's the world system, which is an age and a time and a philosophy and a system, and he wants you to follow that. And um, you've heard me say this, if you're not consciously being transformed by the Word of God, you will unconsciously be conformed to this world. You will be taken and fit into this mold if you're not on purpose deciding you're going to know the Bible, you're going to put it in your brain, you're going to study it, you're going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's Romans 12. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living, holy sacrifices acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service words, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you know what the will of God is, which is good, acceptable, and perfect. And that's what really happens. And so here's Satan. His plan is that he would love to pull you. He would love to tempt you and pull you and pull you against God and, and, and all of that. I mean, that's what he wants. And he wants you to wake up every day and not think about God. He wants you not to be conformed, uh, not, not to be transformed by the word of God. He, he doesn't want you to do that. That's why he hates for people to memorize the Bible. He hates for people to read the Bible. He hates for people to put the Word of God in their brains. He hates for people to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. He does not want you to serve God. You have to consciously decide to serve God. It does not happen naturally. Why? Because you have a natural bent to go wrong. You have a natural bent to go wrong. So that's the battle. So he's, he's the tempter. And he's saying, look over here. Do this. You deserve this. You know you deserve this. The second thing is he's the accuser. Oh, I heard this loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come down. Why? Because the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. Now that happens, and we saw it last week, in the middle of the tribulation. And he's the accuser, but he accuses us. He accuses us all the time. He can come anytime he wants to. And uh, I, I want you to... To, uh, I'm going to read this to you. You don't have to turn that. This is First John. Probably the hardest book in the New Testament, but probably one of the greatest books is First John. 
because he deals with so many hard things. But here's what he says. Now listen to this carefully. My little children, that's us. I'm writing to to you these things so that you may not sin. Now what does he say? I don't want you to what? I don't want you to sin. But if anyone sins, it's a... (laughs) Yes, maybe yeah, maybe no. It says if anyone sins, we have a what? An advocate, a defense attorney with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is our satisfactory payment for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the entire sins of the entire world. When the accuser comes and says, J.B. sinned, and he's really bad, and he's evil, he's got a bad mind too, and he's all this stuff, and look what he does, look! And Jesus Christ is my what? Advocate. And you know what he says? He says... It is finished. It's already paid for. It's already placed on me, the cross, and it's gone. And you can say all this you want to say, but it is gone. And he can accuse you all day long, and Jesus stands up for you because he has paid the penalty himself. He is the satisfactory payment, not for our sins, only sins in the entire world. Hebrews 7 says he is the intercessor for us. And so you can come to God when you sin, and he's your advocate. And you can come to God when you hadn't sinned and you just want to talk to him, and he's your intercessor. He is always there. So you got an accuser, and he's going to be the accuser until he gets kicked out in the tribulation. But we don't have to worry about that once we're gone up. Uh, but they'll come his day. He is, uh, we have an advocate with the Father. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. He lied to Adam and Eve. He lies to us. He says sin won't hurt you and God doesn't love you. And you know, the Bible's not right. There's all kind of things wrong. Uh, you know, God doesn't really uh, care about you. I mean, he's uh, he just got all these lies. He's got a lot of lies. He wants, to, he wants to destroy us. That's what he wants to do. Remember, he's a what? He's a roaring lion who seeks to, who, who he can devour us. And that's what he would love to do to every one of us. So under that, we have an advocate with the Father. First John 2, 1 and 2. I didn't go into that much. I love the fact that the book of Romans tells us that we don't know what to pray for. Right? Have you ever said, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. The Holy Spirit makes intercession for you. He knows what you should pray. He goes to Jesus Christ, our intercessor, and tells Jesus, and then Jesus goes and tells who? The Father. That's exactly what he says. That's what Romans 8 says. And so even when you don't even know what to pray for, even you don't even know what to do, just say, Lord, I don't know what to do, but you know what to do. And so I'm just lifting up this prayer request to you. And the Holy Spirit says, I know what's best. And I'll tell Jesus, and Jesus will tell the Father, and you can be okay. And we don't have to ever worry. That's why he says, be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And what happens? And the peace of God, which passes all understandings, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. He's a liar. He lied to Adam and Eve. He lies to us. He says, sin will not hurt you. It won't hurt you. Listen, everybody does it. The whole culture does it. It can't be wrong if everybody does it. I mean, you, you don't want to be one of those legalistic type people that just live by the Bible. Right? I see, if you're legalistic and live by the Bible, then nobody will like you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that's exactly what we have to tell him uh, to go play somewhere else. You know, go do something else. God, God doesn't really love you. If he did, he wouldn't let bad things happen to you. He loves you beyond what you could imagine. Well, let's talk about uh, some applications. Well, sin will not hurt you. God doesn't love you. Let's look at some applications, okay? And then we can open up for questions. The first application is let's realize the evil nature of the devil. Let's just realize how evil he is. You can't imagine how evil it is. Just remember this. We cannot imagine how bad he actually is. We can, we can try to, but we can't. He's, he's more evil than you can imagine. I mean, just think of the most evil thing you could think of people would do, and he was worse than this. The second thing is let's, let's know the names of the devil found in the Scripture. What's some of his names? He's what? Lucifer and Satan and the dragon. And the accus- uh, you know, he's just got, got these names, and he's, he's horrible. Okay, let's understand that the devil rules this fallen world. And when we say it, when we say world, there is a cosmos, which is a world system. And then there is a fallen time-wise, aeon, which is actually a time thing. And then there's a prince of the power of the air, which actually deals with the heavens and probably the heavenly places here. And so he's got all of this, which affects us. See? And we can't say, uh, I couldn't help it. We can't say it. Why? Because First Corinthians says what? There, there's uh, all temptations, any temptation that comes to you is common to man. And that God will what? Provide a way to escape. So we can't say, I, I couldn't help it. We say, I did it. That's what we say. What is conf- let, me, let me make sure we got this. What is confession of sin? Because people say confession means to say you're sorry. It, it actually doesn't. It, you can say you're sorry, and you can say, I'm sorry I did it, and that's okay. But confession means what? Yeah. Tell on yourself. Homo legeo. Homo means same. Legeo means to speak. So confession means to say the same thing. So confession is actually you saying to God that I did it. Now you can say I'm sorry, and it was wrong, and there's nothing wrong with that. And you can even say, forgive me. But even when you confess your sins, he doesn't say, ask for forgiveness there. He says, confess your sins and I'm faithful and just to do what? To forgive you. I'm not saying it's wrong to ask for forgiveness. But when you confess your sins, you don't really have to because he already says, I'm going to forgive you. Okay? So, yes. Okay, say that again. No. The word repent means change your mind. Okay? Okay? Uh, the word repent actually means change your mind. So you could change your mind about a lot of things. You could say, uh, this is wrong. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if we'd say, I thought it was right and it's wrong when we know it's wrong to begin with. But to repent is an idea of, in Scripture, it, it means to change your mind. Okay. Uh, so, uh, so what, uh, if you you've probably heard or been taught that repent means turn from sin, is that right? It it doesn't mean that. Now, it could be that in the book of of Corinthians, Second Corinthians, he says that for these believers to repent of the wickedness they're doing. And so he's saying, you need to change your mind. As believers, you're out of fellowship with God. In fact, he goes on in chapter 11 to talk about the fact that they're, they're, they're getting drunk at the Lord's Supper, and some of them are dying over this. 
So there is in the in book of Revelation, he tells unbelievers to repent of their wickedness. It has nothing to do with salvation. That's not a salvation message. The gospel of John was written to tell us how to have eternal life. Is that right? Do we all agree that? He write, at the end of the book, he says, there are many other signs Jesus did that are not in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is a Christ, and by believing you might have everlasting life. In the book of the Gospel of John, since it is the message of salvation, the word repent is never in the book at all. So repentance isn't a part of the salvation message. Uh, some people could say something like this, uh, I changed my mind about what I was believing and now I believe in Jesus. That's probably as close as you're going to get to it, but it, it's not found in the Gospel of John, which tells you how to be saved, and it just says believe, believe, believe 98 times. So does that help any at all? No? Okay, good. Great question. Any, anything else? Yes. Yeah. So how did he, if he was a liar from the beginning, how did he fall? Okay, what, I think what it means when lying, liar from the beginning, when he failed from that point on, from the beginning of his fall and beginning of what he did. Because when God created him, God created him as a being that had ability to, to choose right or wrong, obviously, or else you know, they couldn't have fallen. Uh, so I think when it says lying from the beginning, it doesn't mean that when God created him, he created him to be a liar. I think it means I created him to be this being, but we had abilities to choose, and he, he, chose, he chose the wrong thing, chose to be like God, that's pride, and then from there on, he is a liar, because everything he tries to do is a lie. 